Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. to Out of the Blue. It is a sunny Sunday. My name is Heather. And I'm Fum. Welcome to the show. You are listening to us on 855am. You may also be listening online at 3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue or listening to our podcast, which we've started doing this year and we're having a lot of fun with it. Today we're going to have some marine news and we're going to have a really interesting interview as well. So stay tuned. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Hi everyone, we'll start with some marine news from around the country. And the first quite exciting news is that the weedy sea dragon sex has been caught on film for what's believed to be the first time. I know, it's so super exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting and it's, a little bit weird that we get so enthusiastic well, about that. Well, it does that. tie in with our Sex in the Sea shows that we've been doing. So, it yeah, has, it yes, really it does. really does. Um, so a former PE teacher has actually upstaged David Attenborough by filming a special moment in this secret sex life of the weedy sea dragons. Um, it is believed to be the very first time, actually, that anyone has ever captured the moment when the female dragon actually transfers her eggs onto the male's tail. And it is during that process of the transfer that the eggs are fertilized. Now, photographer and keen diver Mr. Pang Kwong filmed the sea dragons at Victoria's Mornington Peninsula, and he had seen the courtship dance before, but he never really witnessed the, this pivotal moment. And he describes that they were swimming together and then put the bases of their tails together and slowly just rose to the surface. 
And he said that the female released a stream of eggs, and then, like a magician with cards, they magically transfer across to the male's tail. And then they actually floated up, and they made contact with the tail, and bingo, there they were, latched onto the tail of the male. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And uh, it's, it's actually really great that citizens are now catching this sort of stuff on film because there is a decline in young people studying STEM subjects. So Definitely. Uh, science, technology, engineering and math. Um, but despite of that, there has been a rise in, in citizen scientists uh, participating and taking photographic and video evidence of all kinds of stuff that are happening out there, which is a really, really great news. And marine biologist Stephen Swearer believes that the work of these enthusiastic citizens is really invaluable in understanding species at risk, mostly of becoming endangered, um, including the weedy sea dragon. And he says that it's a good example of how citizens can collect information and it can provide documentation of a phenomenon. And that phenomenon in turn then can inform any sort of future scientific discovery, he said. And he also stresses that we really need, it to, ha- we really need to harness as much information as we can to help inform management practices around a threatened or endangered species such as the weedy sea dragon. Well, I think one of the problems is with students, you know, enrolling in science, they don't necessarily see where that science can lead to. And stuff like this, you know, if you're out, if you're an avid snorkeler and you're out there and you see something, suddenly you can see that even very basic observation is still an important science skill. Yes, exactly. And uh, it's never too late to get involved in science. And we will actually be chatting with uh, Jackie Younger, who is a marine biologist who lives on the Mornington Peninsula and is very involved in Operation Sponge. And she will be telling you all about uh, citizen science and, and what they've been doing with their volunteers to make this project a success. Now, Another bit of exciting news here is that the Sydney Opera House is to host so-called apartment blocks for marine life by installing some artificial reefs there. Really? Yes. That'll be fascinating. So it is a new project and they're going to install an artificial reef alongside the Sydney Opera House um, in the hopes to revitalize the marine life in the harbour and to restore natural habitats that have been lost over the years. Uh, It is a three-year research project and it's a collaboration between the Opera House, the University of Technology Sydney and the University of Sydney. And it intends to hang nine hexagonal shaped modules around Bennelong Point. And hopefully, the artificial reef structures will then boost biodiversity and provide a refuge for fish and other marine creatures. Um, so marine ecologist David Booth says um, Sydney Harbour has a huge proportion of built environments, uh, mostly seawalls, mm-hmm. and they all go around all around the harbour, he says. And they have been around for well over a century in many cases. And they're made of lovely sandstone, but they just don't offer the habitat that was probably there in the first place on mostly things with holes and hidey holes for fish yeah, and a little, and little complex sort of things. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so their goal is to see if they can enhance those walls to see if they can get th- those fish back. Um, and at the moment, more than 50% of Sydney Harbour is lined by seawalls and Professor Booth is concentrating on... Um, Bringing fish back into the harbour, such as baby blue gropers and seahorses as well, and obviously seawalls are just not going to do it for seahorses because they have to hold on to something. Yeah, they need something more complex. That's right. So um, other projects across the harbour have had success before in rejuvenating marine life. Um, They have done uh, used old oyster shells to restore shellfish populations, and they've transplanted seagrass before as well to support lobsters and abalone. Oh, I've definitely heard of that one happening, Mm. yeah. 
Um, and so Professor Booth said that it's certainly not horrible shape, in horrible shape. Um, there are quite a number of species, but it doesn't mean that they're doing very well at the moment because habitat is limited. Uh, a large dockland area or seawall where there are there used to be mangroves, you know, yeah, there's not many fish, fish and we left compared to those them. mangroves so early on, and yep. they're such an important habitat for juvenile fish. Yeah, that's right. So what they will do now is they'll start by recording data on fish numbers and the diversity in underwater areas around the Opera House and the other harbour sites before they start installing the the reef, because of course they want to see the baseline numbers. Of course, yeah, and then of course check afterwards um, as well if if the species diversity has gone up. Um, they say the modules will be fairly subtle and each will be more than a meter long with various levels of complexity in its structure. And David Lennon, who is the reef designer from Melbourne, who has been constructing reefs for 26 years, he has been hired um, to work on this project. And he says that we understand that marine life need different entrance ways, like rooms and gaps to walk and to move. And we're just like underwater architects and town planners, but it's like building a city. And to have a vibrant city, you need a diversity of habitats. Mr. Lennon said that while the reef's final design was yet to be decided, the modules would likely be an irregular cube or sphere shaped in various sizes and be made of lightweight marine concrete and fiberglass. And he said that they hoped the reef would be rolled out permanently if significant marine changes were recorded over the next three years. Fantastic. Yeah, so stay tuned. But, you know, then the question is, how are those fish going to afford all those harborside, you know? <laughs> Million dollar properties Million dollar there. reef balls that are being hung there. Yeah. That, is, that is prime real estate right I know, there right? At, so in Sydney Harbour. We'll see how fast their, uh, their reef habitat prices rise in the next coming year. Stiff competition, I'm sure. All right, well, we might go to a quick song, and up next will be our interview with Jackie. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue, and that was obviously My Happiness by Powderfinger. Always makes me happy, that song, funnily enough. It's beautiful. It is. Okay, well, up next we're going to have our interview with Jackie. Now, this is the first time I've put a call through live, so let's see if I can make this work. All right, work, work your magic there. <laughs> Hi, Jackie. Hi there, guys. Hi, how, how are you? Oh. Yeah, good, thank you. Very good. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick introduction to our listeners sure. here. We're talking with Jackie Younger, who is a marine biologist, and she is very active as a marine biologist and community member on the Mornington Peninsula, where she runs several different projects. And um, one of them is Operation Sponge. And the listeners, you might remember that we had uh, AJ Morton, who is uh, one of the leaders of Operation Sponge, in the studio about, oh, what was it, Jackie, about 10 months oh, ago th- now? Yeah. Yeah, at least, yeah, definitely, and, um, about 10 months. Yeah, and that was really great. So would you um, would you please let the listeners um, enjoy a little bit of background of Operation Sponge sure. and jog their memory a little bit, Jackie, about what the project is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as briefly as I can uh, for a very big project, um, we were actually on a spider crab dive down at Blairgarry Yacht Squadron on the Mornington Peninsula, and um, we got to talking to one of the guys that was working on the pier, and he said... Uh, they had to replace the wall. So there's a there's a solid wall section that runs a certain length of Blegari Marina, um, obviously as a wave baffler. And they said there's a there's a shipworm in it called Torito. It's like a, a saltwater clam. It's, a, it's actually a bivalve and it was eating the wood. So one of the members of Dive2, um, one of the owners of Dive2, Nikki Morton, said, look, we need to do something about this. So... We devised a project to uh, rep- rep- to try and save the sponges. So all that sponge habitat was going to go into the bin. Um, 
Blair Gary Yacht Club did not ask us to do the project. We asked them, but they were absolutely fabulous. So we had their support from the start. So we we basically devised a way of removing the sponges from the old wall, um, transplanting them to the new wall and gluing them onto the new wall with a non-toxic glue. And it's very important that the um, public understands that we were not allowed to penetrate the wood. So that was one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, We had to devise a way of moving these sponges over to um, the new wall without um, penetrating the wood. So that was a really big challenge. So we learned a lot along the way, <laughs> but it was fantastic. Yeah, so, I remember going for a dive on one of the uh, one of the days at the very, very beginning to have yep. a look and to take some photos. And uh, I remember those bungee cords. Yes. Definitely. To, uh, that, to hold them all in yeah. place. How did you go and with that? And that came in and that was actually really, that was just a stri- basically a stroke of brilliance by AJ because we had to find a way. We, we talked about using biodegradable netting, um, but it would be too heavy. So we had a lot of brainstorming sessions as to how to hold these sponges on for long enough just to give them a little bit of a go. And we figured out about two to three weeks was about the maximum. So... There was a lot of trial and error at the beginning, but by the end of it, we, I mean, it's never been done before. So it's a new project that's never been attempted before. So there was a lot of learning along the way, but we certainly learned our lesson. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember that you guys were intending or guesstimating that you were about mm-hmm. to transplant about 5,500 sponges. Is that right? That was the initial. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely the initial. I can give you the like the the final stats that we actually. Oh that yeah, was the hit attempted. us in the face with some stats. We love it. Yeah, <laughs> hit you in the face with some simple stats. Yeah. Um. Basically, what we'd worked out was that that um that five and a half thousand sponges was basically talking about how many panel. There's about twenty five panel sections, and there were so many. Um. There were so many panels per section. Um, once we took out the control section, so we had six control panels for later scientific study. Um, we had a couple of um, uh, there was a couple of panels that had glue failure, um, which were um, also something to do with renovating the pier. They actually had to change some bolts on the pier. So when we took that out, um, we actually averaged about half that. So on an average, we had to average it out about six to eight sponges a section. So we attempted about 2,200 sponges. In oh, my God. What an amazing effort. And how oh, many incredible. volunteers were involved in that? We had hundreds and something that, you know, we could never have had this project. We had a lot of support. It was a really good example of commercial coming together with community. We had hundreds of volunteers coming down every weekend from the city on the train to help get into the cold water and transplant these these sponges for us. So we would have had probably 200 in the end, and yeah. some of them were coming every weekend. Um, and this project, it's, it's really important to keep in mind, this project was meant to go for 10 weeks, and it went for eight months. That's so, incredible. Yeah, and that was basically due to wood hold up. So, and that was that was just a just a transport shipping problem. We just had to wait for the wood. We weren't able to transplant until we had the new wood. Right, because so you guys really... you guys had to wait until the yep. new sections would be built, right? And that's a gradual Absolutely. process. So you couldn't sort of run ahead of yourself and Absolutely. Yeah. And and that initial the initial um attempt at five and a half thousand sponges was not accounting for, you know, these things that go along the way where um, by the end of the project, there was a couple of sections down the end of the of the wall that we just had nothing to transplant because we'd done it all. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, we had really good success rate, though. If you if you want to hear some, I've got some basic. Yeah, stats bring it on. on bring had. it on. <laughs> so, 
we are looking at, and you've got to understand as well, this is a very, very conservative estimate because, as you may understand as well, Sam, when we were counting the sponges, we were only counting the sponges and the cidians that were glued on. So if something had colonised on top of the sponge that was there, we weren't counting any of that. So we were being yeah. very conservative. So yep. we got about 800 sponges are absolutely thriving. So there's areas, so that's about eight and 80, that's a total survival. So we've probably got just just under half of the sponges have survived and thrived. Um, 82% of that um, that count was sponges and 18% were ascidians. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at about, it's got about 37.6% survival, but that is, there's areas on that wall where you can't even see the wall anymore. Yeah, so, I remember. And that's not because, accounting, yeah. Yeah, I went there like a few or oh, a few months ago now mm-hmm. and, and I was looking at it and I was like, is this an old section or a new section? Exactly. I thought and that, they'd and done this section already because it was already yeah. catching on so well. That's the thrill of it, I think. <laughs> that was the thrill of it. And, I mean, when you're looking at I would I would have been happy with 10%. I've, I had said at the beginning, if we get 10% of these animals surviving, because we've got to remember it's an animal, it's a habitat, we're, we're removing it and replacing it and causing trauma as we're doing that. So yeah. it was about trying to trying to get that survivability aspect, I would have been happy with 10%. But these, these sponges are just are going crazy. And they and we, we have so many animals in them now. We were having animals in them as we were transplanting them. A little blenny would get in there and try and try and say, go away, get out of my home. Oh, but, um, cute. It's been, it's been really successful in that respect. Um, any survival would have been... Uh, we had very, very bad weather um, during it as well. And... I had said to the volunteers, you know, it's, it's keeping that motivation going as well is quite challenging because I'd said to them, when you have a big storm, you have a lot of sponges on the beach that are naturally attached. So it's not a failure of the glue, it's a storm. Yeah, that's exactly and, right. That's that's just that, a natural attrition, isn't it? Ex- exactly. So, yeah, and there's globe fish and, and crabs and all these animals uh, have found a home in there. So. Really successful, very challenging to do it, especially with the volunteers who were fantastic because they just kept coming. We had a lot of fun, actually. There's no reason this cannot be fun. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Well, at least you get a fantastic dive out of it, right? So what can be wrong with that? Nothing. (laughs) And that's what we used to say. I mean, we used to have a great time. Someone would bring down some muffins and we'd all have a, you know, we'd all go and do a... And a lot of of the volunteers were coming down, helping us on a dive. They they could be in the water for an hour, so exposure was a challenge. As well, we, yeah, were, we started yeah. in July, so and we finished in late February, which was amazing. Um, the last dive was, I think, the last last weekend in February, and that was when the spider crabs had come in early. So we had about ten centimeters of visibility on the yeah. last dive. So yes. don't you just love that? Oh, <laughs> uh, we were just happy the water was warm. We didn't care. We're yeah. like, the water's warm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you'll just be uh, transplanting sponges at like ten centimeter distance from your face. Exactly. You can't see exactly. Any further than that. Exactly. Well, Jackie, that's uh, that's just a really amazing story. Um, so, mm-hmm. what happens now? Because I do remember we we had um, mm-hmm. Kate Mills in from the uh, yep. Reef Watch coordinator from the Victorian sure. National Parks Association, and um, he was doing a fair bit of citizen science around Absolutely. looking at those, you know, gathering those stats that you just mentioned, like the. Um, uh, the mortality rate and, you know, uh, yep. biodiversity, um, you know, w- whatever starts There's living so in there. so many studies you can do, isn't there? It's crazy. Yeah, so that's right. so many studies you can do from a social science side and a biological That's right. Well. So how is that going? What are the plans um, for that going forward now? 
what we're going to do with that is we have actually a couple of, um, which I'd like to mention, a couple of universities came down. So we had Dive La Trobe and Monash University and also Aquability who adopted a panel as a section. So they come down and do their counts every month. So when they come down with their club dives, they do a count on that. And with the Reef Watch Citizen Science Project, we're just waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit before we start that again. What we wanted to do was get that survivability and get that we have all the data from the very first day, which people, which um, Kate and at Reefwatch are all looking at. They're all photo- photographing how they're looking at how the growth. They're looking at so many different aspects. So once the water warms up a little bit more, we're going to start getting people in the water again and start doing that project again. Um, of course, with these, of course, with these projects, if you have holdups when something's meant to take a couple of months. Uh, and it takes a lot longer. It is challenging to maintain those projects, but we're well on the way with them. We're just—it's a little bit cold. Water's gone up to thirteen, so I'm very happy about mm-hmm. that. That's better than nine. About, yeah, and we have to think about getting new divers in the water. Snorkelers as well. We had a lot of help from snorkelers, which was fabulous. We have to think about getting people in the water when the water—it's a little bit warmer where they can. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to be able to concentrate on what you're looking at rather than just yeah. breathing. Yeah, and that's really so that's hard with a brain issue. freeze. <laughs> that's a big issue. Yeah, don't take your mask off underwater; you'll feel it. So, so that's one of the reasons that we haven't done it so much over the last couple of months. We want it to be a bit warmer for people. Yeah, fair enough. Not everybody has a dry suit. Exactly. Including myself, so I know what it's like. <laughs> I, know, I have. I hate mine, but I've still got one. <laughs> so, so, Jackie, thanks for, for that update. Now, if people want to stay oh, in touch or if they want to get involved with, um, with the citizen science part that's going to start when it warms up, where, where would they go? I think the best place to go, honestly, the most direct place would be to go to Dive to Use um, Facebook page um, just because... Uh, we have very close association with ReefWatch. So when we get messages from the, to the dive, you can just send them a message. Uh, we put events up on there as well. So it can be on the – a lot of people are already on the Operation Sponge webpage, but I say as well go to the Dive to You webpage because Great. we will repost from there. And then everyone just looks in one spot. Um, those people are already – we've got hundreds and hundreds of people on Op Sponge anyway. So we always – we put events up whenever we've got one. So Fantastic. if anyone's interested – um, they can go to either of those pages actually and just look for an event and we will be starting those fairly soon. Excellent. And for the listeners here, if you go to the Out of the Blue page after the show, then I will make sure that we have that web page on there so you can find awesome. Operation Sponge and get involved. Yeah, well, Jackie, absolutely. thank you very much. That's all we have time for. I could talk no, about sponges fine. forever with you. I know I can. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for the time. And, and you are going back to the uh, uh, Sea Shepherd Marine Debris cleanup yeah, at the moment in Dramata? this morning just waiting for the rain the rain's just stopped so i'll be heading back down there yeah all right well thank you so much for being on air and uh we'll hope to speak to you soon and uh yeah we'll call in again in a few months time and see how it's going oh great fan thank you so much for the opportunity i appreciate it bye all right bye have a good day so that was Jackie Younger from Operation Sponge telling us uh, a little bit about the uh, progress that they've been making. So keep an eye on the Facebook page. Now, before we go, and the end of the show is already here. Oh, my God, how quickly does that go? So um, fast. Yeah, I know. Uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that there will be a EcoCenter fundraiser on the 2nd of September, which is next week's Saturday. And it is actually a variety show called All Sorts and produced by the Renegades here in Melbourne. 
Melbourne. Um, it is a fantastic afternoon from 3pm till 5pm, full of comedy. Uh, we have several different amazing comedians from Melbourne, uh, professionals as well, who uh, are donating their time and their funny bones um, to put on a show for you. We have tickets left. Uh, go to www.ecocenter.com or visit the Port Phillip Eco Center Facebook page and uh, buy your tickets there. The show will be on the 2nd of September from 3 p.m. till 5 p.m. at Gasworks Art Park in Port Melbourne. And it's going to be so much fun. Uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to play ukulele and make a gigantic fool out of myself. So if you want to see me do that, please do come, buy a ticket, bring your friends, bring your grandma, bring your grandpa, and uh, join us for a fantastic, fun-filled afternoon. All right, well, that does bring us to the end of our show. So stay tuned because up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. Ganda 